We are super proud of our graduates. Like it's, as church family, I am amazed to see you guys where you are. You know, I just think, I, even my family, I've seen my kids blessed. I know Kenna and lots of others have invested in my kids' discipleship. And I just, I watch this graduating class. It means a lot to me. Super proud of where you are. Uh, Mike, I learned something today. Um, Mike, you remember how for a while on Wednesday nights when everybody was trying to follow Jesus all over the church and the chapel would be locked and some kids would sneak in and run amok in there and play with things and everything would be a mess on Thursday? That was mostly Tanner and Wade. So I just found that out this morning. (laughs) Wanted you to know that. So uh, basically, you know, pay for that, Tanner. You guys got to teach first grade Sunday school for like six years. So uh, you and Wade, we don't even have to look. We got teachers next year. Now listen, we, we love you guys. I am so, so proud of y'all. And to think about what God will do, uh, not just you guys, but so many others are crossing huge landmarks. Uh, I'm a little shout out here. So after, let me make sure I got my days right. In two weeks, uh, Reed's going to be Dr. Reed. So Reed, you don't have to walk across. I got a book for you though, man. I mean, if you want, I got a flower too. But uh, proud of Reed and lots of others have crossed some landmarks. Hey, graduates, look, you get several kind of formal moments in your life where you cross some sort of big landmark, really. You're born and everybody gathers up, but you don't remember that one, right? And then you got a couple of birthday parties with, you know, $20 bills from grandma. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. But some of the bigger ones come, you know, when you become a teenager and you feel like, wow, I'm 13, what's that about? And then you get a, one day you get a driver's license, and that's sort of a rite of passage for you. And that's also, you should properly warn the rest of us when you get it, so we'll know where not to drive. And then, you know, after that, eventually you're going to come across the stage here, your baccalaureate, you graduate, you you go off to a next stage of life. You join the workforce and you start to support a family. You go off to college and start to get an education and earn a degree for the rest of your life. Maybe one day you'll stand up here again. The day you share vows with a covenant partner for the rest of your life and take a spouse, a husband or a wife that God brings to you for the rest of your life. And then one day you'll become a, a mom or a dad maybe. And all these landmarks pressing forward, pressing forward with your life. And sadly enough to think about it, but one day, the last landmark, you won't remember this one either, will gather around you and remember your whole life at your funeral. And we'll talk about who you were. And and my job as your pastor today is is just grab this moment and say, hey, let's make it count. Like, let's, let's talk about what God can do with the rest of your life. So I want to talk about your calling I want to talk about God calling you into a future. I want you to imagine that your future is not neutral, that your future is not up to you. I want you to imagine in God's house with God's family this morning that your, your future is not just what you're going to make of it. That's my bad, I didn't love it. But your future, it really is what God's going to call you into. And that whatever God calls you into as a kingdom of priests, He's calling you into something sacred. What if college for you for the next two years or the next four years, graduates. What if college is not about baseball and football? And what if it's not about weightlifting and girls? What if it's not about guys and grades and classes? What if it's not about resume building? Like, what if this next season of your life is not about a 4.0 and a resume and an interview and a job, as if your whole future depended on you getting all that in the right place? What if? What if there's a God in heaven that loves you and created you and he's designing you to send you out into his mission? And those four years, are you finding your place with him, serving him? 
Like, what if those four years are not like an interruption into your real life while you're waiting to get started as an adult? What if those four years are the waking moments of your calling, of God drawing you into something sacred? And I'm not saying to be the pastor. I'm saying, what if God's sending you off into a factory or a school district or a farm for the sake of making disciples for His glory? God was not content to send a couple of stuffed shirt preachers into a pulpit and declare His gospel. It was God's vision from the beginning that His gospel would resonate from every corner of the pine belt, from your life and your voice. That the military would be changed by your witness in the midst of it. That your hobbies and intramural teams would be changed by your presence in them. And so I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 127. And we're going to read a psalm of worship, a psalm of ascent. And I want to read this to you as the text that I selected for your baccalaureate. You're going to read a psalm about building a house. And I want you to recognize that building the house in the psalm is a powerful metaphor for building your life. It's not building your house as in the bricks and the wood, the sawdust and sheetrock. That's not what the psalmist means. Much more powerfully than that, he means building your house as in building your life, your household, and all those who will be blessed by you and your ministry. What we're reading about today is streaming not just of you ever being under a shingled roof, but of all the people who will be changed by what God does through you. So you are... Every one of us, not just our graduates, every one of us, we are building our house today. So Lynn's and I really are about to start building a house. We're super excited about that. In fact, we laid water pipe the other day. I got my first blisters to prove it. Just so happens that the blisters you earn from joining water pipe are exactly the right spot for the blisters that you'll need for shaking every hand in the church. Perfect. So, uh, you know, I, I loved every one of you today as I thought, ouch, but it's worth it. I love you. We really are building a house. We're super excited. But you're building a house too. Your, your house is not PVC pipe and two-by-fours. The house that you're building is your choices, your decisions, the people you bring in. The habits that you bring in or say yes or say no to. It's the moments you spend seeking God early in the morning. Imagine the household that we're building today in Psalm 127 is every bit of your life. And so let me give you a challenge as we read Psalm 127. I challenge you to accept your calling and follow God into this sacred adventure of building the rest of your life. Let's read. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for He grants sleep to those He loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Most of your translations say when they contend with their opponents in the city gates. I like that better. We'll come back around to it in a bit. I want to pray as a church family. And as I pray... I want you to begin contemplating. Will you accept the calling that God is issuing you today? As you build your house brick by brick, as you build your life choice 
by choice, moment by moment. Will you accept the calling that God is issuing for you? Would you decide that the rest of this will be the Lord's house? Let's pray. Father, I ask your Spirit's blessing on our church family gathered. On proud family members, Lord, on graduates that we delight in and love. But on all of us, Lord, as we sit beneath your scripture this morning, Father, we wait for your Spirit, for Him to give us power and conviction to show us, Lord, what you desire of us. Father, if we're far from you and lost in our sin, I pray that you bring us to salvation today, that your Spirit would touch us as no human hand and no words from a preacher's mouth ever could. God, I pray you rescue each one of us from a life lived in distance from you. I pray, God, that you'd put us on the path that you have for us. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 127 verse 1 says that if the Lord's not building the house, then the laborers labor in vain who build it. That's a powerful idea. Can you imagine for a moment what it would be to see the difference in a blessed work, that is a work that God was urging along, that God's Spirit was moving in, that God was pushing forward, as compared to an unblessed work. In Shuglock, we, we would have called that a snake bit work, right? An unble- Can you imagine an unblessed work? As if you are pouring your life into a great work that just will not come together. As if you're using all of your energy and influence, all of your ideas, all of your resources and effort. But it just won't work. And if it did work just seems like it wouldn't matter. Can you imagine an unblessed work? Can you imagine spending the rest of your future fighting against the work that God wanted to do in you? Can you imagine, for the sake of today's sermon, building your life, building your house without God's help? And not according to His design or plans. Can you imagine spending the rest of your years in an unblessed work? This psalmist would speak to the worshipers going to ascend the stairs of the temple in Jerusalem for worship. And he would remind them, unless the Lord builds your house, you labor in vain who build it. And every one of them knew that we weren't just talking about sanctuaries or households, but we were talking about our households and our lives. And if we want it to count, if we want it to matter, if we want it to be what God designs it to be, then we want to be engaged in a blessed work, not an unblessed work. We want to do what God wants. But here's the way that we approach it. And it's wrong. We, we imagine that we're in charge of our lives and that we have the freedom to launch out into our lives and then look at God and say, God, this is what I'm going to do. Will you bless it? God, this is my design. These are my dreams for me. This is my kingdom I'm building. Now come on and bless it. I went to church. Come on and bless it. And there's nowhere in the Bible where God says that He is our backup. He's not our co-pilot. Like He's in charge. He's the boss or He's nothing. God is really good at being God. But He refuses to be anything less than that. So the way it really should work probably is for all of us to look at the Lord and say, God, here's my life. What do you want it to look like? God, who do you want me to marry? Where do you want me to go to college? Mississippi State. Yes, Lord. (laughs) Who do you want me to marry? What do you want me to do for a job, for a career? How do you want me to spend my time and my energy? Lord, you tell me I'm yours. You're in charge. 
What would our lives be like if we allowed God to build this house? But if, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain who build it. And everybody in the sanctuary knows exactly what it feels like, I do, to put your best effort forward, but to be doing it by yourself and to watch it fall over. House of cards. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Gang, we have a fantastic security team in place protecting our church. Man, I, I love them. I appreciate that. I'm very thankful for We've got about 30 folks that volunteer to rotate and keep us comfortable and safe so that we can worship with our minds at ease. But you know, the best protector that any church has got is not the men walking the campus. It's God himself. The best protector I've got is God himself and the same is true in your lifespan. And it doesn't mean that he'll keep you from all harm, but it means with his sovereign hand over you, whatever comes your way, it's in his will and you can handle it. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. It's interesting, in Israel they were surrounded by stronger bad guys. I mean, they're this tiny little piece of the fertile crescent. And just beyond them, past their western borders, Egypt world power. Just to the north of them, Assyria. Off to the east, Babylon. They're in the middle of every big boy on the block. The only prayer they had was that God would defend them. And he did when they walked with him. The scripture says, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For God grants sleep to those he loves. I want you to imagine that image of God granting sleep to a peaceful heart. And then I want you to imagine the anxious heart. Staying up late, rising up early, and believing that the only thing that will work in your life is your hard work. Believing that all of your future is up to you. And you're staying up early, late, you're waking up early. You're desperate, you're anxious, your identity rests on making an A on this test. Like if you don't get into med school or grad school, your life is ruined in your mind. It's not true. You're losing weight, you're losing friends, you can't sleep because you are convinced that by the grit of your teeth and the strength of your back, you'll succeed. And somewhere across campus, there's another person laying their head down on the pillow at the end of the day at peace. They've got a peace that passes understanding because they know they have an advocate and a calling. They know they have a heavenly father building a house and they're just a part of it. They're not the cornerstone, they're just a stone. And it's amazing how much freedom you could find. And I wish that for each of you. That you could relax and follow God's plan for your life with total contentment. That you'd work hard, absolutely, God deserves nothing less than that. But you'd sleep with peace, knowing that He's building the house. As for the household, the psalmist begins to speak of the children in this man's household. He says this, he said, children are heritage from the Lord. And then he uses an interesting metaphor. He, he says, the children born in a man's youth are like arrows in a warrior's quiver. I thought that was kind of cool, so John Lout loaned me his quiver. 
Uh, Becky, is that just, that's a nice quiver. I don't know if you made that for John or if John made that himself, but John Lauk's quiver. Thank you, John Lauk, for loaning this. Uh, Ken, I know that you shoot archery, going to William Carey to shoot archery. Probably a lot of the rest of you do. Not unfamiliar to you. But the scripture says that children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. And we're going, tell me what that means. Basically, here's what it meant. In first century Israel, like the household was what you had. And your family were your defenders. And if a man had a large number of children when he was young, then when he got old and was too weak to protect his property or guard his wife or his descendants, there was a yard full of kids with the strength to defend their family. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. And it says here in the end, it says that, Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They won't be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in, and I told you I prefer the gates. And the city gates is where they held their informal court. And the city gates are where matters or disputes were settled. And basically what the psalmist is saying is if you've got an unjust enemy, a person who doesn't know truth and justice, and they contend with you in the city gates, and justice makes its way out the back door, and somebody rises up to get ugly, but you've got a yard full of healthy, young, strong boys and girls, they're going to defend your family. You'll be fine. Well, what does that mean for us? It's a powerful picture of the Lord building a house. And then I want you to think about this image of the Lord granting children that are like arrows in a quiver. And people who have given themselves to love the Scriptures have read that for years and have contemplated what it would mean that God calls children arrows and it's not just because they're a pain it's um it's it's more than it's more than that kids we love you i i think the reason that god chose the metaphor that in building our house our children are are like arrows an arrow is no good if it stays, right? An arrow doesn't stay in a quiver. And as much as we love our kids and want to keep them close, that's not their calling or their purpose. Like an, an arrow, if it's going to be of any use, it's, it's put on a target. It's, it's pointed downrange in the right direction with clear focus. And then at the hands of somebody who understands, who's wise, skilled, it is released. It's launched. And its mission is simple. Find a target. And I want you to understand in a sense of God building your house, you are called and like arrows, you're launched out. Students, as you go off to college, college graduates, as you go off to the workforce, all of us, as we go off to our work, to our homes tomorrow to build the houses God's calling us to build, I want you to think of yourself as an arrow in the hands of the archer God himself, that he's launching you out. Imagine that God is building his own household and we are living stones where his spirit dwells and he's building his family, his name and his reputation. And we all are his sons and daughters and we all are launched out, not just to go to a nine to five grind, but to live a mission, to live a calling. We are launched out by God and we carry his gospel and his good name. And this is not just for the baccalaureate graduates. This is not just for their families. This is for all of us. Like, I want you to imagine your future on purpose, on target, sent out, launched into your father's mission. What would it be like for you and I to recognize our lives as a calling? Let me tell you about my college experience. So I realized that the, the status quo college story goes like this. 
well, I was a good boy. My mama raised me in church. And then when I went to college and moved away from home, I got a little crazy. You know, I, I started drinking too much. I fell in with the wrong crowd. And I started you know, chasing women, chasing men. And, you know, the next thing you know, man, I was, I was a million miles from God. That's, that's a common story. And I know in Carterville Student Ministry, I've seen that story repeated over and over and over again. I, I fell away from God. I wandered. I backslid when I left home. Well, it's a sad story, often repeated. My story actually was different. My story is, I mean, I was raised in church with a great family, wonderful mom, wonderful dad. But in high school, uh, I was very status quo, very much a cultural Christian. I loved the Lord and feared Him in my heart, but I had no idea what a disciple looked like. And as a result, you know, I mean, I was drinking as much as the other guys. My mouth was about the same as the other guys. My goals and dreams and aspirations were about the same as every other high school student. I would be clear to say I was not on a mission for God. And I went to college. And when I was in college, I bumped into some people who were living out a calling. I bumped into some people who understood that they were living for the glory of God. I made a few friends who understood God better than I did. Just by being with them, talking with them, studying Scripture with them, living life with them, worshiping with them, I began to be discipled, and I realized what following Christ was. In my freshman year of college at Scuba Tech, in the same month, I decided to give up drinking and start teaching Sunday school. So there you go. And I found out that God had a calling for me too. And I love it. And, and a calling from God, it's not just for preachers. Like what I want everybody to understand is that when God called His church, He called a kingdom of priests. The analogy that we used last Sunday night in our Sunday night church was this. I said, look, tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up and I'm going to take a shower. And, and I'm going I'm to lace up my shoes. And I'm going to come to church for work. This is where I work. I know some of you are thinking, we didn't think you really did work. I've got an arrow. I work twice a week, every Sunday, every Wednesday. So tomorrow I'm going <laughs> to, that's a joke. <laughs> Ask my wife. So tomorrow I'm going to lace up my shoes and I'm going to come to work. And I come to church. This is where I work. I I'm coming here to serve the Lord. I mean, I'll probably walk in with a halo and my harp, you know, and I'm ready to go to work for the Lord. And you're going to lace up your shoes, your work boots, slide on your flip-flops, lace up your tennis shoes, whatever you're wearing tomorrow, and you're going to head off to the plant or to the school or to the construction site, to the bank, to the business, to Uncle Sam, and you're showing up, listen to me very carefully, for exactly the same purpose, to serve the Lord for a full day. You're walking off into your calling, a sacred calling, where you represent the gospel and the love of God, where you're taking the Holy Spirit to the front edge of the pine belt to see people that won't see me, that aren't going to talk to me in a day. You're representing God in the highways and the hedges every bit, as well as I am throughout a week. Your calling as sacred as mine. So if God leads you to be an accountant, well then be an accountant for the glory of God and transform the lives of people in college and all through your career. Be on mission. Be like an arrow with a target. Say yes to your calling. What if you said yes to your calling?
How about this for a change of pace? For college, what if some of your goals, for those of you that are going off for two years or four years of college, what if your goal, instead of your goal being that you would get a starting spot or keep your batting average up or, or, or that you would have a 4.0 or be on the dean's list or that your parents would be proud or that you would, you would like earn a scholarship next year for your grades this year or that you'd get Phi Theta Kappa or that you would get a job interview at a co-op and you'd be the engineer of the year. What if your job, and I want you to be the best at whatever God calls you to, all right? But what if your goal for the next two to four years was not what you accomplished on a transcript? But what if your goal was to see somebody baptized your freshman year because of your witness? How many of us, we spent four years surrounded by people from all over the state or all over the world, and we were oblivious to the opportunity we had to see somebody one to Christ during the most high-context relationships you're ever going to enjoy? So what if your goal was that despite the straight A's and the good grades that you're going to make, that you let the Lord build this house? And that he would lead you to see somebody walk through the waters of a baptistry, give their lives to Christ, because you recognize that calling wasn't four years at college, but calling was four years on mission. What if workplaces all over the Pine Belt, job sites, barracks, what if they were transformed this week by people who didn't just show up for work, but showed up for their calling? What if God sends you out of state? What if God asks you to move for college or for a job? Well, the bottom line is you're going to have to pick up and move. So you might as well move on mission. If God moves you from here to California, well, he just made you a missionary out of state. Go there with a smile on your face. Every bit as called as the missionaries that God sends to the other side of the globe. What if God could use your career to support a church plan or a pastor or a missionary? What if God could use you as a core team to start a, a new work for the gospel somewhere where there isn't one? What if when you realize that you just got a job offer in St. Louis, that you start calling networks of church leaders to find out what church needs a committed layperson to lead and support and serve in a church? What if God used the rest of your life as part of His calling? His mission. So for the graduates and for every church member and guest today, I want to remind you that when God looked across the globe and called out preachers and prophets, priests and pastors, He also called brick masons and teachers. He called artisans and painters and musicians. He called professors, teachers, coaches. He called you. And the rest of your life is a sacred calling. And that has nothing to do with a specific vocation. It has everything to do with you being in the vocation God sent you to so that you could be the light of the world. And I just want us to be that. Church family, I want to pray for us as we consider the weight of God's calling on your life. And in this service, I want everybody to consider what God's calling you to do, how you are serving for the glory of God in your workplace, in your family, in your house. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to build a house that you are proud of. Lord, as 
as we build the rest of our lives and our households, I just pray, Lord, that you would direct, that you would be the one that would do the building, that we would live in a blessed work, not an unblessed one, that we would spend fewer days fighting against you and resisting you, but, Lord, that we would spend years delighting in a partnership where we watch you work and we get to serve you like arrows launched out into your mission, that we get to watch you build our lives into a house of a holy calling. God, I pray you'd send us out, everyone. I pray for the children of this church, Lord, that you'd send them out for their last days of the school year on a mission. Lord, that some child would come to know Christ in our elementary schools because of the witness of our kids. God, I pray for our college students as they finish up, that they would finish well and they leave a legacy. Lord, I pray, for, I pray for our adults, for all of us, Lord, that as we serve you this week, we'd be on your mission, looking for opportunities to make connections for you, to witness, to share, to serve, to make disciples. God, we repent of the years that we have spent with a hard head and a hard heart. Father, I pray that your spirit would overcome that and that you would soften us, Lord, so that we can follow you for the days that we have left. God, today we beg you to build this house. We take our hands off the blocks. God, they're yours. How do you want the rest of our lives to look? We surrender them to you. And Lord, as a church, as we send our children and our young adults off into the next stage of their lives, I ask you, Lord, that you would make them your mission force. Father, your salt and your light, that you'd guard them, Lord, from sexual temptation. Father, from pressure to fit in from a broken self-esteem, from addictions. God, I pray that you'd protect them and drive them towards the peace of your gospel and your spirit's presence in their heart. God, that you would disciple them and make them disciple makers. Lord, I ask your blessings on our church family today as we respond to this hour of worship in Jesus' name.